This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about all that ONTAP 9.3 goodness with the Powered by ONTAP crew, Jeff Baxter and Octavian Tanase. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. On the phone with me today, Mr. Glenn Sizemore. Hi. How are we doing, Justin? I am doing great. I am ready for the next uh, wave of insight at EMEA. Uh, we're going to be doing it in Berlin in a few weeks. Um, you're not going to that, are you? No, I'm not. But but uh, I'll be I'll be supporting it back here at home. We've got we've got two busy weeks, man. We got a big launch, and then right around the corner, we got our second half of the show. Will you be pouring out a beer and eating a wiener schnitzel for us? Uh, if by pouring out you mean drinking, then well, pouring yeah. into your mouth, of course. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, great. So um, this week we're going to cover ONTAP nine point three because that was announced in Insight Las Vegas, and w- to do that, uh, we're going to start off by talking about innovation. And we brought a very special guest onto the show, uh, Mister Octavian Tanase. Hi, Octavian. Hey, Justin. Um, Glad to be on the show, and I know that this is a podcast. And uh, but Jeff, uh, Jeff Baxter, and I uh, dressed for the occasion. Both of us are uh, wearing a NetApp blue T-shirt that has a hashtag powered by by OnTap. I, I thought you'd like that. It's pretty good, and they actually did it by video. So we do the WebEx for remote people, and they they have a video going now. And it really reminds me of those um, ads where the grandparents are trying to talk to their kids through the video conferencing. So it's 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 cute. You guys are cute. Yes, I, thank you for that. I'm not that old. I have high mileage. But anyway, you, know, you wanted <laughs> to talk about innovation, and uh, I couldn't be prouder of the team. I think um, the the ONTAP team is innovating with more pace and passion than ever before in, in the history of the company. Um, and ONTAP 9.3 that we recently launched is yet another iteration of that innovation engine that we're so proud of. Uh, to be honest, the, the, the themes of innovation uh, should be familiar, right? And, and um, on top of everybody's mind, when you talk about security, performance, um, efficient, efficiency, and simplicity, these are things that... Um, Many of our customers, most of our customers are looking forward uh, to, to get into a product. So security seems to be top of mind for everybody in IT. Um, you can't go a week without realizing uh, or reading that um, security has caused um, yet another um, resume changing event. And those events are usually not promotions. And um, we uh, in the OnTap team, you know, keep on innovating and adding capabilities such as multi-factor authentication um, or uh, enabling uh, you know, the software encryption of, of, of a data in a controller, in a, in, a, in a deployment. So our customers have that peace of mind of um, having the data secure both uh, at rest as well as in flight. Another area that we're uh, very passionate about is performance. And we're looking to um, always optimize software performance. So customers are getting additional performance, especially for SAN mission critical applications, just by upgrading to ONTAP 9.3. Right? Not, you know, we're not talking about um, 
upgrading to a different set of, of hardware, but uh, just by via software upgrade, we're looking at 30 to 40% more improvements um, on, on the SAN stack. It's like the second or third, third time that's happened now. Um, yes, the team, it's really been uh, at work and we, we, you've seen us uh, publish a series of uh, benchmarks uh, that are world-class. Uh, we're, we're really proud of that and, and the team has been uh, hard at work. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to upgrade if you're not going to get anything out of it, right? I think it always pays off to, to upgrade and we've done uh, a lot of work to make that simple. Right? Uh, something that started as a vision a few years ago has led into a, a lot of progress that enables um, our customers to to really upgrade within minutes uh, a deployment, whether it's a simple HA pair or, or a cluster. I think uh, if you haven't seen that capability in System Manager, I would highly encourage you to, to look at that. Yeah, the thing, the thing that impresses me, and, and sometimes we forget those of us who have been here for a while, you know, we have a whole bunch of net new customers now, right? Whether they're coming from competitors or otherwise, and they may only have known us 9.0 on and, and seen these releases coming out every six months. So, you know, sometimes it's useful to look back. Like when I joined, right, we were lucky. We said maybe every 18 months. And in reality, it was like every 21, 22 months. And there were these, I mean, good releases, but they were these big bang releases with hundreds of features, hard to implement, hard to upgrade, right? And um, sometimes even with regressions on performance or efficiency or something like that. And over the last couple of years, what, what the team has really done is have these six-month you know, cadence. You know when it's coming. It's easy to upgrade. It's free. It's non-disruptive if you have support. And instead of you know, degrading your system or whatever, you're getting more performance, more efficiency just out of a software upgrade. I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. That, that's Jeff Baxter, in case you didn't know. We didn't really announce Oh, sorry. Him. Hi, Jeff. My bad. That's all right. Um, so, um, Jeff, uh, one of the things that we're talking about here is innovation. I think it's pretty innovative within NetApp that we've gone from this cadence of like, you know, 18 months per major release to six months. Um, could you talk a little bit more about what that means to the product itself? So I, I think what that means, and, and I'll get Octavian's take on it as well, right, is it means that from the time an engineer comes up with a brilliant idea, it doesn't always, you know, get into the code in six months, right? But you've constantly got people working on this, constantly a new release train coming that when features are ready and when they demonstrate the quality necessary, they were able to ship, right? So you have some incredibly talented, um, whether individual contributor engineers or, or senior TDs who come up with these brilliant ideas, right? Work with customers, work with product management, right? And are able to accelerate them a lot quicker to value that customers can actually see in their data centers. I mean, that's part of it to me. Absolutely. And you'd be surprised how many, uh, how many, how few of the good ideas actually come from senior management. <laughs> uh, what happens is, uh, you know, teams always want to do things faster and, and better. And they've implemented a, a DevOps model where they've shifted um, a lot of the testing uh, left, you know, as early to the code inception and code development. So we have um, a very modern way to, to building and releasing code right now. We have a lot of uh, continuous integration tests that are being run with every single check-in that has uh, enabled us to really accelerate uh, the, our software development, software QA uh, you know, process. We wouldn't, we wouldn't release probably more often. I mean, never, never say never, but to enterprise customers and their data centers more often than six months. But we have full builds of ONTAP going a lot more rapidly than that, I think, right? We have daily builds. And one yeah. of the things that we're experimenting with right now is for the newly uh, announced NFS as a service in the Azure infrastructure service, right, that is powered by ONTAP, powered by, uh, by NetApp, 
for that, we're looking to to release on a monthly basis. Oh wow! So we may have some some code lines that get spun up, and then they they'll converge and loop back into the main code line on a monthly basis. So that may be a newsflash for for you and uh, the podcast listeners, Justin. That uh, for Azure, we're looking at monthly builds of ONTAP. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, that's, that's that's quite a scoop we got. But we already do I, that kind of with Select. We do th- every three months for for releases. So for Select right now, uh, the deploy tool, the uh, deploy capabilities of ONTAP Select get iterated uh, every three months. ONTAP Select ships on the same cadence as the rest of ONTAP. Yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, as I've said many times in this podcast before, I, I think that makes perfect sense, right? It, it, it depends on where you're deploying, how often you want to have to go in there and do an update, right? If we're dealing with a core data center infrastructure, doing upgrades once a month is, is a bit excessive, even, even when the cluster handles it all yourself. But but in a pure cloud service, well, yeah, NetApp should be pushing those updates as fast as we can because the customers don't have to deal with that. We do. Yep. And that's what I love about our model, right? And w- with the you know long-term support model and different things like that, we adopt different enterprises, right? I, I ran an enterprise data center and I don't know, you know, 10 years later, maybe I would update every six months, but we have customers who update annually, very conservative customers who might want to wait you know, maybe be 18 months again, but we have customers and we've seen pretty rapid adoption of these releases, even every six months with, you know, if you make it easy, if you make it non-disruptive and you add more performance and efficiency, we're seeing customers actually adopt rapidly. Yeah, the customers vote with their uh, with their downloads and their wallets. <laughs> and um, you, you probably know that ONTAP 9.1 is the most um, adopted release in the history of, of NetApp, in the 25 year of uh, history of NetApp. Mm. Well, but I want to talk about the present and what we just shipped because we okay. just covered a couple of topics. We talked about performance. We talked about security. What we didn't talk about is the, the improvement that we made in the area of storage efficiency. And that is important because your customers are, are always interested to improve their their cost of ownership for the solution that they deploy. And what we've been able to do is... Um, innovate and, and develop IP in that um, in the storage efficiency area and in the area of uh, reducing the, the footprint of the data on um, in, in the storage device. So in ONTAP 9.3, by employing a broader domain of deduplication, uh, many of our customers will see an improvement of up to 30% uh, for their storage efficiency. We're really proud of that. And, um, you know, once again, you know, the, the, the team in Bangalore that is doing that, that work has um, outdone themselves. These savings, are they seen more on AFF or are they seen across the board across FAS as well? Um, you would see um, these, um, these savings across the board. Um, you know, what we usually do is lead with uh, these, you know, these capabilities of available first on the all-flash arrays where the cost of ownership is perhaps even, you know, more important and more sensitive than for for hybrid storage. And you know, one of the things with with 9.3 that it added was what my, one of my personal favorites is not having to schedule your background deduplication runs if there's data that's you know moved on there, snap mirrored on there, that maybe was not caught in line, right? Being able to schedule the not have to schedule them, but have the system dynamically run when there's resources available. And obviously, we made that available first on AFF because the performance there and the guaranteed low latency means that there's um, ample headroom, essentially, to be able to do these jobs in the background while dynamically adjusting to load. So that just, you know, in addition to being able to expand the dedupe scope, um, the ability to just basically catch any of that other data 
and uh, be able to dedupe it without having to schedule a whole bunch of jobs is huge. All right, this this is um, this is simple. It's becoming simpler than ever to turn um, these capabilities on. Yep. Now, that's probably also a good segue in um, the, the last theme of ONTAP 9.3, which has been simplicity. Uh, we've invested a lot over time in enabling a, a simpler and a faster out-of-the-box experience. And with ONTAP 9.3, we are um, deploying a capability called Adaptive QoS. And uh, it, it, it basically complements some of the capabilities that we've launched uh, in the past that enabled um, you know, administrators to set up floors and, and ceilings for the workload. Um, now we have the, the capability to automatically adapt the, the quality of service um, given certain parameters to give you a burst mode. Um, last but not least, um, a product that is near and dear to my heart, um, the Metro Cluster product is now available not only for fiber channel networks, but for, for IP as well. Um, I believe that uh, this, this capability will democratize uh, sync DR across uh, customer data centers. And overall, one uh, is able to deploy this, uh, this solution, this DR solution with, uh, with less cost, you know, both uh, you know, the one time, the CapEx cost, as well as the recurring you know, cost of, um, of running it over, over the network. So MetroCluster uh, over IP is starting to ship in on, on tab 9.3. Yeah, and just to point out, this is a limited release for that particular technology. You know, you're going to want to check with your field guy or your sales guy or the technical reports to figure out which use cases are supported for the initial release. But uh, eventually we should friends? see more support for things. Yeah, Justin, you, you have to say that really, really fast, like that lawyer guy from the commercials. <laughs> Metro Cluster IP and ONTAP 9.3 is available in controlled release. Please check with your local representative. I can speed it up in post. I can speed it up in post. Yeah, exactly. You can just speed it up, make good 50, 80%. I like yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, it's in, a, it's in a controlled release just so that we can make sure that the environment you have, I mean, IP can be a little bit more Wild West, right? So just to make sure the environment is right, interconnects are right, and everything like that. But it's definitely... Uh, I like how you call it democratized, right? It's definitely the future that we're moving forward towards. I think I saw uh, Octavian give me a look when I said that. I think <laughs> this is the problem with having video. Uh, you know, I saw just, that. That's a mistake. Hold on, we'll we'll just do this. We'll just okay. cover it up. Works. There. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that works. All right. Um, so we talked about Metro Cluster IP. We talked about the storage efficiency changes. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about the storage efficiency changes for the you know the scheduled deduplication as well as the adaptive QoS. Um, these are all things that are building blocks, right? These are things that we've been building to in the releases prior. So we introduced things like um, Headroom. We introduced things like QoS in general. And then we started building on top of these features to make them more evolved and more innovative over the course of time so that we start to give you a more fully-fledged, feature-rich uh, solution for your product, right? So, I mean, I would expect to see more and more happen with these particular feature sets over the course of time in the next releases. Yeah, and I think we're also learning how to um, to evangelize and how to present uh, you know some of these capabilities in plain English, right? When you talk about uh, you know QoS, um, you know a lot of times uh, in in the past we used uh, NetApp idiosyncrasies rather than than simple plain language, and I think it's time it's time for us to to start uh, doing just that. Yeah, yeah and I, I think you're just right with the building block analogy, Justin. I like, and, and by the way, I'll give you a cheap plug. I really like the uh, session you did at Inside Vegas, and for anyone planning to go to Inside Berlin, the session on 
on these updates and on tap was a great session at, at Vegas. So I encourage people to check it out. Um, but I, I like you talk about them as building blocks and we kind of talk about them as journeys. Right. And so we know, especially on a six month cadence, but even 18 months, right. You're never going to get there on, on the first leg of the journey. Right. But if each one incrementally delivers you enough value that you want to go there and you start, um, uh, you know, and you can start there and then each release or maybe not each and every release, but on each of these journeys, you know, each release or maybe skip a release, you continue to increment until you go from, you know, a minimally viable, good starting product to a complete, you know, feature rich solution in addition into the ONTAP, you know, ecosystem. And I think that's that's pretty cool. Instead of having to wait around for 18 months or three years for something to ship and then it's missing a feature and you got to wait another 18 months. Well, I love these incremental journeys. I, I think what you want to do is ship a minimal viable product, get some feedback, um, listen to your customers and perfect that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we've seen that things like. Um, Things like Fabric Pool, right? Where there's there's honestly not that much that's changed in 9.3 on Fabric Pool, but part of it was you get a minimally viable product out there just six months after we announced it in 9.2. You take all that feedback. I know we've refactored some of our plans there based on that feedback, and then you move ahead and you look at hopefully the next six month release and you keep going. So um, we what we announced on stage at Inside Vegas, the one of the things we heard from a lot of customers was in 9.4. We're going to go ahead and add Azure in as well, right? So Absolutely. based on customer feedback and based on demand, right? So um, I, I love that, that, that we can iterate on, on customer feedback and partner feedback a lot quicker than we could before. You're telling me we shouldn't tell customers what they want? We should just listen to them? <laughs> oh, I think there is a fine line between leading a customer in a, in a direction um, that you, know, you have a, a lot of conviction about, uh, as well as listening to them. I, I like, I, I like the, um, you know, even at Insight, right? It's a good mix, right? So I was running around doing sessions saying, Here's what a whole bunch of thought leaders think about what's going on with next generation media and NVMe and all that other stuff that, to be quite honest, a lot of customers may not have heard about or had just heard about. And that's that's our jobs. Right. We're here daily thinking about things like that. And then you have sessions like yours, which were here's all the feedback we've collected from you. And here's all the awesome stuff we've released and tell us more what we can do. Right. So just like Octavian said, there's a balance. Right. Sometimes we're going to try and skate to where the puck is. And other times we're going to say, well, we really missed that one. Thank you for your feedback and, and go based on what customers are asking us for. So Octavian had to leave us. He's very important and he has more important things to do than talk to us all day. But we did get to keep <laughs> Jeff Baxter, who is less important, less important, but still important. Yeah. So um, hi, Jeff. Hi. Yeah, I forget where Jeff ranks on the org chart between you and Octavian. I'm trying to remember. Uh, you know, it's probably know. just not, one not big, anywhere important. One giant uh, circle. Surely. I mean, circle yeah. of life, man. Exactly. Right. Yep. 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 So we talked a little bit about some of the features in ONTAP 9.3. Let's turn around and tar start going a little deeper. Um, sure. And let's start with adaptive QoS, because I know that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to be confused about initially. So let's go into what it is and how it works. So, And, and I know there's some deep dives out there, and there'll be more deep dives, and there's uh, there'll be videos online, different things like that. But at the core, adaptive QoS, I think it's important to understand that adaptive QoS is in addition to the QoS minimums and the QoS maximums that have been introduced over the last few years with the, the minimums being introduced um, for selected workloads in 9.2. Um, adaptive QoS, in my thinking, is kind of just a different way of looking at things. And if you were to go with the, let's call it non-adaptive QoS, it's very reasonable, it's very sensible. You say, okay, I have this volume or, or whatever object you're placing it upon that I want to say, at, you know, maximum 100,000 IAPs, minimum of 25,000 IAPs, right? And that just makes sense. That's kind of 
as close to plain English as a storage geek can talk. The issue with that has always been that those limits are static compared to the change in how you're using that volume. So what I mean by that is, let, let's make it simple. Let's say you have a 100,000 uh, 100, max IOPS and a 10,000 min IOPS on a 100 terabyte volume. So when you put the first 10 terabytes on that volume, you're getting 100,000 IOPS for that 10 terabytes, and you're getting a minimum of 10,000 IOPS for those 10 terabytes that you've just put on the system, and everything's rosy and everything's happy and you know sunshine, so on and so forth. Here's the interesting thing. If you then put the second 10 terabytes on it, 20 terabytes on there, right? If that workload represents users or represents applications, they've just cut in half effectively what you've given that volume. And if you scale that volume of, of, or at the end to that full 100 terabytes, right? Say you basically fill it up. You've now got 10 times the workload that you started with at 10 terabytes. So if you predicted exactly right that you actually needed a maximum of 100,000 IOPS and a minimum of 10,000 IOPS, you'd technically be okay. Although the odd thing is users who had been with you to the beginning, from the beginning or applications that have been from the beginning will actually feel like they're slowing down. Now, they're not getting at the end of it. They're not getting less service than they were promised. But we've all had that feeling or we've all had that experience where you actually get more than what you expected. Service happens quicker. Or, you know, they tell you it's going to take 48 hours for something to happen. And it turns out it only takes six hours. And then it, it kind of feels wrong when it goes back to the norm. So you have that sort of weird ex expectation where users getting the experience they were promised or an application's getting the experience they were promised. But it feels like it's slowed down because from their relativistic point of view, it actually has. The other problem that can happen is, remember I said, if you guessed right or if you sized your application right, what happens if that application really should have had a minimum of 50,000 IOPS or a, min or a maximum of you know, 200,000 IOPS. When the first 10 terabytes of that 100 terabytes goes on there, it's still going to feel okay. It's still going to perform okay because you've only got one-tenth the workload on there that you thought you'd have. But as it grows and as it grows, and when it passes that 50 terabyte mark, all of a sudden the application's not getting the latency you expected. The users aren't getting the performance you expected, and everyone's complaining. And by that point, you may have passed the point of no return. You may have already provisioned so much more on that system that you don't know and you can't fix it. So that's a long buildup to what does Adaptive QoS do? Adaptive QoS fixes those problems by tying the amount of performance for the volume to the workload as it's growing. So you, instead of saying, I want this amount of IOPS maximum, I want this amount of IOPS minimum, with Adaptive QoS, at least to start with the maximums, right, and the minimums in some cases, you can go ahead and set the IOPS per terabyte at once. So you still set an absolute minimum, and that doesn't vary at the moment, but your peak actually goes up as your terabytes go up until it hits that maximum as the volume maxes out. So that means with each new workload as you're adding, with each new application as you're adding, it's getting a consistent increase in performance. And if you take workload off that volume, it's consistently decreasing that at maximum so that your IOPS per terabyte remains completely static. Long explanation, I know. I'm going to take a breath. But that's the easiest way I know how to explain it. Oh, that's a great explanation, man. I mean, th these are this is one of those controls where if you're a you know traditional IT pro, uh, traditional large enterprise, you may be looking at that going, yeah, okay, you know, maybe. Um, you may not see the immediate need there. Those types of controls and capabilities really uh, fall under the the must-have category, though, when you start looking at building services. 
and and reselling capabilities out out to customers. You have to be able to manage expectations and you have to be able to control outcomes. And and that's exactly what that adaptive system enables customers to do. Yeah. I mean, this is this is nothing new, right? Going back 15 years when I was selling shares of a Novell Netware server, right? Dating myself a little bit, right? The first couple of users we put on that server thought they'd enter Nirvana, right? And by the time we got it up to 50% or 60% or 70%, we were getting screaming phone calls saying that it was slow. Even though according to the service catalog, they were getting what they deserved, right? So it's this great way of uh, providing guaranteed customer service and, and aligning things the way they want. It's actually, and, and you know, we talk about these themes, it's actually also an efficiency theme because if you know that you have good controls on your workloads and good QoS, like you said, right, for cert, large-scale service providers, you can run a cluster far closer to its maximum, right? It's a scary, when you have no controls, no idea how many IAPs per terabyte, it's really scary running a cluster above 50% or 70% or 80% because who knows what'll burst out of the you know performance closet and and wreck your entire cluster whereas if each one of those workloads is controlled is provisioned you can run your cluster at 80% you can run your cluster at 90% and so even though theoretically you're not getting any more storage efficiency or performance efficiency out of it you really are because you're able to use what you paid for to a lot higher utilization with confidence right so it's a, it's a huge efficiency boost and like you say for service providers where that's measured in large-scale clusters across hundreds of customers, that's real dollars. That's millions of dollars at stake. Indeed. Yeah, so this covers the simplicity aspect as well because it does simplify how we're managing our QoS. But what it also does is it takes something we already had, which was the adaptive QoS and NetApp service level manager, and brings it into ONTAP natively, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, NetApp service level manager is this awesome tool that can provision across multiple different instances build your service catalog into it, work with all these orchestration frameworks. So there's a huge amount of focus there. But also for the IT generalist, just looking at, you know, system manager, our, our basic GUI on the system, being able to go in and set these values directly or more than likely um, with sort of the recipes we have built in, say, I just want a generic SAN application or I just want generic NAS and I want one of these service levels, you know, extreme or value or um, any of these different built-ins, or or you can put your own. So there's extreme performance and value, you know, kind of built in based on what we've seen with best practices, but you can kind of roll your own in there. So whether you're building this enterprise-wide service provider thing through this service level manager, or whether you're just this IT generalist wanting to go in and assign basic service levels, we've got you covered, um, you know, from from the biggest down all the way to just straightforward provisioning. Yeah, and we covered uh, Service Level Manager in Episode 81 if you're interested in hearing more about that. Yep. Cool stuff. All right. So um, you mentioned efficiency in terms of adaptive QoS, but we're also doing some things with efficiency in 9.3. And Octavian touched on it a little bit, but let's go into a little more detail about what those new efficiency feature sets are. Sure. So, you know, it's really about continuing to reduce your storage footprint and what we've said, you know, on, on the big line print, um, you know, the big the big bubble on your presentations is, you know, improve your capacity savings by up to 30%. And there's a couple of different things with that. As a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know, in 9.2, we introduced this aggregate, uh, this aggregate level dedupe. So aggregates are our collection of rate groups, essentially, right? They're how we create a logical pool of storage. They can go out to um, now 800 terabytes on some systems. And which, by the way, you know, I should point out is actually bigger than the entire global size of some of our competitors. And I don't take shots at competitors, but just to point out, being able to dedupe across 800 terabytes and get three to one, four to one, five to one or more, and essentially have a, a dedupe across 
a couple petabytes of logical storage is, is pretty impressive um, without a performance impact. So we introduced that in 9.2, continue to refine in 9.3. And the other thing we added in 9.3 is this ability to then remove the need to statically schedule background deduplication jobs and instead allow now, starting with an AFF system, the ability to run this sort of constant automatic dedupe in the background, it knows what the performance of the system is like. It's not going to degrade the performance of the system, but with those extra CPU cycles that pop up, it's going to go ahead and run dedupe on the background for you and run it only when the change rate of individual volumes indicates that there's enough data there for it to be worthwhile to run. So um, the performance impact, in almost all cases, you won't see any. It's going to be at least least less than 10%, um, you know, for all the storage efficiencies combined. In reality, it's, it's probably something imperceptible enough that you wouldn't see in real life. You know, we talked about the efficiencies, not just in terms of capacity savings, but we also have things like automated schedules, as well as the mm -hmm. the deduplication and the aggregate level across aggregates uh, after the fact, right? So not just inline, because with inline, it's opportunistic, and if we yep. can't deduplicate something because it'll impact performance of the workloads, we'll, we'll actually defer to the workload. Right. So we can actually deduplicate after the fact to gain those efficiencies because, you know, we didn't get to do it the first time around. Right. And there are, depending upon the size of your system and how much memory and things, so sometimes we'll defer for performance and other times if data is old and cold enough, um, maybe, the hash, maybe the table in memory just isn't quite big enough to have it, so we won't catch that on the inline. But this post process will come along and clean that up as well, right? So there's, and and this is not this is the way it is with a lot of different systems in the industry. There's never such thing as a free lunch, right? So you get the vast majority of your um, storage efficiency right there in line with, um, you know, inline dedupe, inline compression, inline zero reduction, inline compaction, all of that going. But on the rare case where there is an escape because the system is running up against the edge or the data is so old that it's not in the memory map anyways, we have this automatic scheduler that comes along and reduces it for you. So we've covered uh, the aspects of adaptive QoS and efficiencies. Um, we talked about some security enhancements in a previous podcast, uh, podcast 109, um, episode 109. So um, if you want to just touch on those at a real high level, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Sure, yeah. So I won't, I won't say that was Juan, right, um, on that podcast on 109? Yeah, Juan and Dan Tullidge. Uh, absolute experts on this. So I won't step all over that. I would encourage people to look at it. But at, at a very high level... And near and dear to my heart, some people know, you know, I started NetApp almost a decade ago and I started in our public sector business. And it's still a huge, um, you know, big part of our business. We're very proud that we're the number one storage provider to the U.S. federal government, as well as being a significant provider to other governments around the world. And we take that responsibility very seriously. So there were a couple of different things um, building on these journeys. One is the introduction of multi-factor authentication um, for system manager and for unified manager. A lot of people know what multi-factor authentication is. Um, you may sometimes hear it referred to as two-factor. That's a variant of it, right? Um, but it's generally something you know, like a password, and something you have, like a token, um, whether it's a hard token or a soft token or, or something else along those lines. So in 9.3, we introduced the ability for these uh, different interfaces to use SAML. It's an industry standard to go out to an identity provider. And we've tested with a couple different ones, uh, Shibboleth, the Microsoft Active Directory Federation services to be able to go out there. Uh, basically, you log in, it goes out over SAML. We don't do it for you because there's so many different ways of doing this multi-factor authentication. So we go with whichever way your enterprise is chosen. It goes out, it validates your token, whatever else you're happening to use. Obviously, we still validate your password through Federation services. 
um, and then we go ahead and provide you access. And this is for the administrators to access the system. It's very important to understand that because what we're really trying to protect against is unauthorized administrator access, um, usually because of weak passwords or stolen passwords or spear phishing or whatever else um, that gets access to the what you know sort of piece of it. It can't usually get access to the what you have, your token or something else. So it's very important to protect against insider threat. Um, and by insider threat, you know, I mean someone who was supposed to have left the company or where their credentials got stolen. Um, this will help protect your ONTAP systems against it. So that was very important. It's also very important to be quite frank because there's federal requirements that are coming into play very shortly that require systems to use it. So it's important again for us as, as important providers to that segment to provide this functionality. The other major security sort of enhancement uh, was with NetApp volume encryption, which is our software-based encryption for at-rest encryption. We've been able to do hardware-based encryption for a while. In 9.1, we had the ability to do software-based encryption either, um, and you can actually technically do both, which is kind of you know fun because you know just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you, especially for certain customers. Um, but with NVE, it allows you to go in and encrypt with software. And where we went out of the gate with 9.1 was this onboard key manager to make things really simple, um, time to market. And for a lot of our customers, they just want to have something basic there. But other customers who want uh, a more um, rigorous setup, we support the KMIP protocol. It's what we've supported with the hardware encryption. Now we support it with the software encryption. You go out to a key manager, and the key manager validates the individual key and unlocks those volumes for you. That means you can have central key managers. You could have usually two to four key managers replicating the keys for protection of the keys. And you can have multiple different clusters, multiple different instances of ONTAP, all using that central key management. And in a lot of cases, that central key management can be validated to FIP standards higher than what you would get typically out of just ONTAP or any general purpose OS. So typically, um, you know, say you get something from Jamalto SafeNet, they're key secure, which can go up to FIPS 140-2 level three. Um, so just higher level of assurance for customers there and, and two more features that show how um, serious we take authentication and security in ONTAP land. Okay. Um, and one thing we didn't cover with Octavian was something that I think is going under the radar a bit is uh, Solifier to ONTAP SnapMirror. So um, yeah. could you give us kind of a high level of that as well as, you know, what sort of limitations we currently have? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, this is, this is a big deal for us, right? Uh, you hear... We haven't talked a lot about this podcast, but I think you always hear from NetApp this vision around digital transformation in the data fabric, and we're always trying to add these threads into the data fabric. And SnapMirror is, is our primary replication technology, and it's ubiquitous, right? It's deployed. I think it's still the number one replication software deployed out there. And we first sort of test drove it with AltaVault, adding SnapMirror. And now with 9.3, and I believe Element uh, OS 11, um, on the solid fire side, you're now able to replicate data from a solid fire system for backup purposes, or sorry, for DR purposes, into an ONTAP system. And in the event of a disaster, you're actually able to mount those LUNs, temporarily run them off the ONTAP system. When your solid fire systems come back online, you're able to then shut it down the ONTAP side, do a resync back to the solid fire side, and bring it back online there. So in terms of quick caveats there that you probably heard as I was going through this, it is currently a solid fire to ONTAP and only running on ONTAP in the event of disaster. And the replication back is only sort of a resync. We don't currently support the ability to replicate, you know, LUNs that are active on the ONTAP side over to solid fire. To be quite frank, that's probably not a good, you know, never say never, but it's probably not the most likely use case because solid fire is an all flash system. People are usually using it to run virtual workloads or other new emerging workloads. Using it as a backup or DR system isn't probably as likely 
as people have an ONTAP system just sitting there already doing snap vault, doing backup, plus the ability to do hybrid configurations or all disk configurations to lower the cost of um, data protection in, in these DR scenarios. So that's why it's kind of the way that it is today. Um, other things I should mention. So I believe, you know, at the time we're recording this, you know, and by the time uh, people hear this, NetApp HCI will officially have been shipping for about a week. And um, big news, I'm incredibly happy um, that are so, with my uh, SolidFire teammates and our HCI teammates, big accomplishment there. I think it's going to be a tremendous offering. And again, this plugs into it. So people will be able to, um, through that interface, establish a, a data backup re um, relationship, have a DR relationship over to their um, potentially existing ONTAP system or another ONTAP system, and be able to do DRs for their system. So that say they go out and buy HCI for their virtual workloads, or maybe you know perfect use case for virtual desktops, and they want to just back up that information. Well, go ahead and back it up, snap all it to that ONTAP system you already have. So that's it in a nutshell, I think. So, um, in following the theme of there's a podcast for that, <laughs> we have NetApp H we have NetApp HCI podcast as well. If you're interested, so episode 89 we covered that. Uh, so if you want to check that out, podcasts onto one ONTAP system, would they get significant due dupe rates? You know, we I don't talk know. About they might. I think I tend to say the same things over and over again. I'm, Definitely, I'm my, jokes would get, my jokes would my jokes deduplicated. Definitely. There's there's certain people around here where if you could dedupe the number of times they've said NetApp HCI over the last six months, I mean, you get like. 100 to 1, maybe 100, 900 to 1. It's, it's a pretty big deal, right? So <laughs> yeah. we're glad to do what we can to help with that. Absolutely. The one other piece with um, SolidFire that I should mention, and we've done this for a little while now um, with running ONTAP Select on, on vSAN and different places like that, we will be supporting running ONTAP Select on top of HCI as well as things like the virtual Alta Vault, um, storage grid, different things like that. So the whole data fabric portfolio running on this HCI system. So, um, uh, you know, I think that at first it's going to be kind of a manual deployment, but our goal is very shortly to have HCI and through that NetApp deployment engine that's built into HCI, be able to deploy things like ONTAP Select automatically there. So the great part about NetApp HCI is you get the second generation enterprise level, um, really awesome standalone HCI solution. If you want to use it just for that, that's great, right? You don't need anything else. But if you want to embrace the whole power of the data fabric and use things like object storage or use ONTAP for, you know, home directories or enterprise NAS you might want on it or putting AltaVault on it for cloud-based backup, that's all going to be available and it's all going to be deployable onto that platform. So the, the snap mirror that we've introduced in ONTAP 9.3 is a huge part of the thread and the ability to run all these other products on top of HCI is just is golden on top of it as well. So uh, very cool sort of solution there. I noticed you said second generation HCI. Am yeah. I to infer that you're referring to other HCI solutions as, I don't know, Legacy? <laughs> Legacy is a loaded term, Justin. Just <laughs> you know, After, I would never I would never say such a thing. No, we I, had a pretty strong stance on that a year and a half ago. We absolutely probably shouldn't Oh, I agree. I agree. I was just saying I was, I was more poking fun at the whole term of legacy because yeah. legacy in itself is a loaded term. Okay, um never a never too shy to plug my own stuff, but um Flex Group also has new stuff in ONTAP 9.3. And I'll just go through a quick rundown of the list of new features that are added in ONTAP 9.3. So Qtrees, uh, antivirus support, QoS ceilings, uh, snap vault support, uh, independent version snap mirror support, so being able to replicate between multiple versions of ONTAP with uh, Flex Group. Um, and a new 
feature for the ingest calculation. So basically taking into account inode counts per member volume to avoid Ooh. situations where we will build up files in a member volume and, and potentially run out of inodes in a member to balance the load a little better so we don't have capacity problems or member inode problems. Man, that's a lot. That is a lot. It's a pretty big payload for 9.3. We didn't have a ton in 9.2. We had MVE, and we had some some GUI feature functionality added, as well as aggregate inline deduplication support. But uh, all this new stuff in 9.3 is is a giant payload, so that's going to be good stuff here. Yeah, it gets back to uh, what Octavian and Jeff were talking about earlier. I've I've always been a huge fan, a uh, huge fan of the the Mark Twain quote. You know, continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. Uh, it just tend you, you tend to get it right when you, when you take small bites and work your way through a problem. When you take huge swings, you just tend to miss a little bit. I think Mark Twain would have been an, a TME, probably, because yeah. writing probably wouldn't have made him a lot of money now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, if he was born in 2017, TME'd be a good job for that man. Absolutely. I, I can make a joke about lies, damn lies, and statistics in another department, but um, I won't do that because they're good friends. But, um, yeah, I love that quote. That's, that's exactly right. And I that actually, I think that applies to flex groups as well, right? Flex groups has just been one continuous series of not just how it's architected, right? Taking all the really cool stuff that we already did with Flexballs and Instead of trying to recreate everything and recreate perfection, everything expand upon them, right? It's it's that quote is deep, very deep, Glenn. It applies on so many levels. That's why I love it, man. Right on my whiteboard. Yeah, I'm lost in thought now. <laughs> hey, I got us off the track. Yay, I did it. Yay, Glenn derailed us. Do you guys have a little award that you pass around when you completely derail someone? It's yeah, actually just, it's, Justin has a uh, car crash sound that I tell him not to play because people listen to this in yeah. their cars. All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Octavian, of course, had to leave. Um, if you want to reach Octavian, you can find him at on Twitter at O-C-T-A-V, Octav. Uh, he is the senior vice president in ONTAP. Uh, so, Jeff, what do you do here again, and how can we find you on social media? I have one of those crazy social media-esque titles. I'm the chief evangelist for ONTAP. And uh, people can find me on Twitter. I'm fully brand compliant or not uh, at Bax on tap. So it's B-A-X on tap. All one word. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you'd like to share today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Jeff Baxter and Octavian Tanase for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. So, uh, Glenn, you can upgrade to ONTAP 9.3 after this? Totally. Yeah, man. I am. I, I'm gonna go, first, got to go smoke my, uh, my, my NetUp HCI cigar. You know, we, we celebrated a birth the other day. <laughs> yes. Uh, go, yeah. uh, I got to go enjoy that. I think it's a boy, although I didn't actually pay attention to the rapper. I, 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 I think it's androgynous. You're probably right about that. No, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll just I'll, I'll do what I've been doing lately, man. I'm just going to go in System Manager, click the button, and let ONTAP do it. It's beautiful. I don't even have to think about it anymore. So... Full disclosure, I've been running it for months now because I kind of have to. But, yeah, I like it. It's good stuff. Okay. Justin approved. Justin approved. Kid tested. Justin Justin approved. approved. (laughs)